Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Point Church Virtual Church. I hope you all are staying cool out there. It's a very hot day. Um, I am going back to my roots in the Christian faith. I came, I came to Christ under a pastor who um, was an ex-pro surfer, and he preached barefoot and uh, in shorts. And so I'm going to preach outside in shorts and flip-flops, and here I'm wearing shorts and barefoot, So just so you don't hear the the flippity flop through the recording, but it it is it really is a, a warm one. We have a, a a sort of a short text and a long text that we have to go through for this passage, and so I really my aim is to keep it moving. Um, <clears throat> for you all, hopefully you have air conditioning, and I'm in air conditioning right now. But when I preach to the other service, the outdoor service, it will be hot, and so I'm hoping to be able to. To, to move along at, at a quick clip. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'd open with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first two verses. But these first two verses in chapter 2 are going to force us to go back uh, to look at a story that we skipped over in the introduction. And so also, if you while you're flipping your pages and putting your bookmarks in, uh, please go back to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. This is the the founding of the Philippian church, which when we did the introduction, we, did, we didn't look at. But now we're really forced to look at it. And so today, uh, as far as translations go, I'm, I'm all over the place. I've been, um, I've been preaching out of the NIV, and my notes are in the NIV. Today, in light of the longer passage that we have to look through, um, I wanted to, to use the New American Standard because it's a Bible I've been using for a, a long time. And the... the um, the verses are laid out easier. They're not in paragraph form. They're just uh, verse by verse, uh, each line. And so for, for me, I wanted to just to, to read through the Philippian story in the translation that I'm familiar with that, that's, that's kind of what I'm used to. Um, <clears throat> and so if you're all over the place trying to figure out what translation I'm reading from, it's, it's okay. Uh, your Bible is, is great. And so I'm just trying to stay fresh in my my reading and my preaching and, and uh, not wanting to get in a rut. So with that, let's pray, and we'll look at First Thessalonians ch- chapter 2. Uh, Father, I do thank you uh, and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful letter of the Thessalonians. Uh, it's a letter that I really w- am very unfamiliar with, and so I've been encouraged going through this letter uh, in recent weeks. And I pray, God, that you would lead us, that you would guide us now as we look at this passage. Lord, help us to uh, get a sense of Paul's heart and your heart, and may we be encouraged uh, through today's reading and studying of this passage. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. And Father, we do ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. All right, so we start out. There's these two phrases uh, in the in the NIV, it says, uh, y- "You know." 
in the New American Standards, it says, it says, for you yourselves know, and then down in verse 2, it says again, as you know. And so r- right away as we're working through this, uh, we're sort of strangers reading somebody else's is mail. And so we come to this passage 2,000 years re- removed from the original context. This is so important for us in Bible study to always go back to the original context to see what was said in the original setting. Um, there is the, the intent and what the, the actual the interpretation of the Scripture is all there. There's only one meaning to Scripture. It's the original writer to the original audience uh, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we, we look at the text, we look at the setting, we look at what happened, and then through that we can draw the principles that apply to us today. And so he says, you know, brothers and sisters, uh, he speaks to them very warmly. Um, they know what he's about to talk about. Um, he, this, you know, is an interesting, it's an interesting, te- it's in the emphatic. It's, it's telling them to like, you're aware, you're aware of this, but what I'm, and what I'm actually asking you to do is I'm charging you to, to go back and to think carefully to the things that happen. I'll, I'll never forget one of my biggest criticisms of, of an individual in the Navy um, was a, I, I was, I got in trouble with resisting, ev- evading arrest. I, I, everything was settled out and everything was uh, dealt with that early when I was 20 years old. But many years, a couple years later, when I was renewing my security clearance, um, I was in the, getting ready for deployment and there was a, a normal review. And one of the questions sort of was like, hey, have you been in trouble since the last time you got your security clearance? I clicked yes. Then there was like a short little like one line to describe what happened. So I put the outcome because I asked the, the security officer like, hey, what, you know, like, do they just want the outcome or should I like take more time? He's like, hey, no, 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 just, just write the outcome. And, and, and doing that, it really caused me a lot of problems. What he should have said is, no, no, you, like, like Paul is saying here, you know. Uh, you should you, like really think back to the things that happened. Like take time to ponder the details and the events and everything that was happening. Uh, that officer should have told me, you know, no, this is serious. You need to, because of that incident, you really just... Uh, go home and, and write out a few pages of everything that happened in detail and clarity that you can you can present because that's what ne- you need to happen. But that's a whole other story. Uh, and but but Paul is saying, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. And so he's saying, think back. And, and in reading this. You get the impression that there were many, those outside of the church, the Jews who we know from Acts chapter 17, as Paul went there, he spent, in Acts chapter 17, the first 10 verses, we reviewed this during the introduction, he spent three Sabbaths with them. He reasoned from the scriptures, he explained the necessity of the gospel that Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecy uh, concerning the Messiah that was to come, he explained the necessity of his death, burial, and resurrection for their sins. And the Jews that were there became jealous and they conspired with other people or they, they wrangled in other people together and they chased Paul and Silas and Luke out of town. Uh, they couldn't find him, but they got Jason and they, they held Jason and Jason basically gave the word that Paul wouldn't return to the town. And so... Through that whole incident, and as they made their way up to Berea, and uh, 
as, as they got there, the Jews heard that, that he was still in the region, not in their town, but they went up there and they tried to stir up all kinds of trouble. And so Paul was discouraged. Like you just, in reading this, uh, you, you sense that he's discouraged. The, the word failure in the NIV, it could be translated also. Uh, the, the newer version of, of the NIV, they've updated it. Uh, you could translate it, uh, the word empty, foolish, worthless, without results. Um, the New American Standard uses the word like vanity. Like you get the impression that the, the rumors and, and the pressure and the persecution on Paul, it, it came across that this whole, this mission trip, this, this, this gospel going out to Europe was a failure. And you can see this like discouragement. I, I also, in, in, in reading this, I think back to Acts chapter 15 with the, uh, the Jerusalem council that we talked about in the introduction that, um, you, you know, that during that Jerusalem council, when Barnabas and Paul were getting together to go share the news, they wanted to bring John Mark with him. And Paul said, no, he bailed on us last time. He's not coming. They had their big, their big split. Paul knew the difficulty that was to come. And so here they're facing it, and they're in the midst of it, and they're still on their trip. And Paul's writing back to the Thessalonians, and he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our trip to you, our visit to you was not a failure. And he says to think back, remember all of the good. In the midst of all of this, the persecution, the adversity, you know, affliction, adversity, these are key words, longing for Christ, Advent, another key word. And so when I look at Paul in this, there's a lesson here, and, and it's so easy to get discouraged in, in the midst of adversity, and, and when people are pushing back against you, and negative things are being said, and in the last five months, today's the five-month anniversary of the whole COVID uh, situation as far as the church in San Diego is concerned, because it was five months ago today, it was on the uh, well, right on the this weekend, it was the Sunday the sixteenth. This is Sunday the it was Sunday the fifteenth. This is Sunday the sixteenth. But effectively, it's the five month anniversary. And in the last five months, the church and the society, you know, our our rights that have been afforded to us by the government and how we've reacted. It's so easy to be discouraged. I know of pastors who've committed suicide. I know of pastors who have quit. Um, like, there's been discouragement along the way of like this is just. This is just frustrating. So as a pastor, when I read this, I I just sense Paul's heart. But then you look around and you see what God is doing, and God is doing all sorts of wonderful things to the church in America through this. This is it's it's a really a wonderful time. There's this refining process, this winnowing process of uh, of growing the church stronger. The divide between uh, non-believers and believers is growing wider and wider. And so to be a Christian, you, you have to kind of, you're, you're putting your sort of flag in the ground and say, no, I stand here on Christ. And so Paul's telling them, remember the, the good things. Now, verse 2, he says, we have previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi as you know. So the, the we here, this is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. We know from the, the Acts, this is where the, uh, in Acts, where the writing goes into the the first person plural, that that Paul or Luke starts saying we, 
And so we know that Luke was there because he writes from a, a first-hand account. He says that they uh, suffered and had been insulted in Philippi. And the New American Standard suffered and mistreated in Philippi. Um, uh, the new NIV, the, the newer translation of the NIV, it says that they were treated outrageously in Philippi, which was prior to their arrival in Thessalonica. And he says this last phrase, as you know, well, we skipped over this. In the introduction, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't look at this whole account. And if you were watching the Gunner Grams through the, um, like, through the pandemic when, we were, when I was making those recordings every single day, um, we went through Philippi. And I did an introduction to Philipp, uh, the Philippians there, but we didn't do it here. And so it's sort of assumed that the readers understand. So I feel compelled and forced that we need to go back to Acts chapter 16 because this whole story seems to be foundational uh, in what Paul is writing because, uh, well, let's just go there. If you went to Acts chapter 16, as I instructed you earlier, you should be there already. And in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11, or really verse 9, in verse 9 of chapter 16, remember, they're on their first missionary journey. They're making their way across Turkey. Paul really wants to go up to Asia. He's trying to cut north, and the Holy Spirit is resisting and pushing back and stopping him. I don't know what that looked like exactly, but doors were being closed, and Paul knew that like whatever it was that was stopping him, he accredited it to the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a good lesson there. Sometimes doors are shut in your life, and if doors are being shut in your life, maybe it, you should look at that like maybe it's God that's closing those doors. And so then they get to the very end of Turkey. They get to the far western edge to this town called Troas. And we're told in verse 9 that a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia, that's modern-day Greece, was standing and appearing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. We need help. And so Paul took this as a sign from God to cross the ocean, to get or the Mediterranean, to get over to Greece. And so verse 11, putting out from sea, from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samanthros, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. So these, this, this is key. They, they get to Philippi. Uh, we learn from Acts that Philippi is this leading city. It's, it, it's like the New York City, the, the Los Angeles, the San Francisco. This is a, a major hub, especially during that era. The city is where commerce happened, where you could uh, live and, and do things very easily, where people could sell trade, where the world sort of came together uh, for various things. We're also told that it was a Roman colony, colony and Roman colonies uh, were, were these towns all through the ancient world that Rome as it had conquered the world, it was, they, they built these settlements with all of the fine, everything from, from you know, the, the bathhouses to the theaters to, to everything you needed, they, they, they put it there. And then they encouraged their soldiers to, to retire there. They made it very appealing for people to stay. And in Roman colonies, there were certain privileges afforded to Roman citizens. It was very beneficial to them. And I think that that's a key in, in today's story. And we're told that we were staying in this city. Do you see that? The we, just I want to point that out to you. This is Luke is writing. We were staying in this city for some days. And while he's staying in this big city that's new to him, what he's asking is, where's the synagogue? He's going around the city and there's no synagogue. He can't find a synagogue. 
And on the Sabbath day, he went outside the gate to Riverside where we were supposing that we would find a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, to have a Jewish synagogue, you needed 10 adult males to form the synagogue. So, which tells you that in Philippi, there were not 10 adult males who were Jewish, but there were some Jewish women. And so these Jewish women, if there was no synagogue, they would go down to the riverside and they would be by the water and they would kind of do their religious services and they're they're praying to God, the Jewish God, um, and they would go there. So Paul goes down there, he finds these ladies who are assembled and he begins to engage with them. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia of the city Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And so here's this woman. She's from a bigger city. She's a seller of purple fabrics, which these were very expensive fabrics. And so this was a very successful businesswoman that Paul engages with. And so just another highlight, women in the ministry. Here's this lady. She becomes, I believe, and, and many believe that she was a lady that, that began to really partner with Paul and help fund the ministry. As we go through uh, uh, Philippians, or when we went through Philippians, we saw that they, uh, they were a church that gave great financial gifts to fund the ministry. Paul's trip in, uh, at Thessalonica likely was funded by this group of people. And so we're told that as he's engaging with this lady, this very wealthy lady, we're told that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And so there's this, this mystery. You, you hear, you take in. But ultimately, it's God who opens your heart to be able to hear. And so we're told that God opened her heart in order to respond. And if you have people in your life who do not know Jesus as their Savior, begin praying for them. Pray that God would open their heart to hear the gospel in a new way. Suddenly, when I came to Christ and God had opened my heart, my whole life was transformed. And I knew it, it did not come through my own intellect. It did not come through my own understanding. It came through suddenly. It was like God focused the lens of my heart to where everything made sense. And I, it was like this aha moment. Where has this been my whole life? And so he opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, next step, if you've been a believer, if you've given your life to Christ, the next step for you is to be baptized. If you are a new believer and you haven't been baptized or you've been a believer for a long time and you've never been baptized by immersion, please let me know. We can get you baptized. We can go to the bay. We can fill up a horse trough here at, at the church and we can, we can baptize you. Um, but the next step in obedience after belief is baptism. It's all through. Ba- it's not baptism than belief. It's not get baptized when you're a child. This is why we dedicate children and then we wait till children are older. Uh, in my family, we wait till they're you know 13, 14, till they're old enough to where they understand the things that they're doing, and so then we baptize then because it's belief and then baptism. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. I love this. So like right away, one of the things that Christians are commanded to do throughout the scripture is to be hospitable. And so right away after she comes, she gives her life to Christ, she's baptized, and she says, hey, if you judge me worthy, come stay at my house. And she pressures Paul and them to like, we have a place to stay for you. Please stay at my residence. And she prevailed on us. And it happened as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us was bringing her master as much profit by fortune-telling. 
following after us, she kept crying out and saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way or a way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And they had brought them into the chief magistrates, and they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews. There's racism here. They thought being Roman citizens, they saw Paul, they said this is a, this is a, a Jew, and they misjudged Paul. Not really so much misjudged him, but because he was Jewish, but they're going to see that he was also a Roman citizen. And so they try to stir up this big commotion, ultimately because of their greed. I'm, I'm flying over the story. There's a whole lot here we could, we could spend a lot of time on. And uh, well, let's see where we are. Um, verse 21, or verse 20, let's go about These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is, it is not lawful for us to accept or, or, observe, or to observe being Romans. It's absolutely not true. There was great religious freedom within the Roman culture. Uh, Christianity, Judaism, they were viewed sort of at one, as one during this time, and that was an authorized religion. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer, to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And so here's what they get for sharing the gospel. They get beaten up. This was totally in violation to their rights. They were beaten up, they're thrown in prison, and they're sort of left there. How does Paul and Silas respond? How do they respond? Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So in the midst of their great persecution, they were singing. Um, I, I still do find it fascinating that when we were allowed to meet inside, there were the two weeks there when the governor, the one of the things that he came after was singing. And I, 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 I can't help but to think that there was uh, like spiritual thing, motives, uh, spiritual attacks behind that that the governor made that he doesn't even understand. Singing is something that we as believers do. Singing is a way of worshiping God that we can soothe our hearts, that we can get through trying and difficult times. I would encourage you that if you're home alone, to what are you listening to? You know, play Christian music, uh, play Christian songs that you can sing along to, and it will lift up your spirits. And so here they are at midnight. Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and it had an effect on the prisoners. And suddenly, verse 26, there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken and immediately all of the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened, so they're let loose. The jailer is going to be very scared because he was given a charge to watch these guys. Uh, it, it did, if a prisoner got out for a, for a prison guard, this was a capital punishment offense for them. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This guy, this just is bold to me. It's always just seemed like a really bold story. 
I think my inclination was if something bad like this happened, I would run. My nickname whenever, my nickname whenever uh, hazing was happening in the, in the teams, I developed the nickname Gunner the Runner because anytime I sensed that some sort of hazing was going to be gone, I was out of there. I ran away as fast as I could and I hid. And so I developed the nickname Gunner the Runner. They'd always find me and it always ended up being worse. This guy's just like, I'm not going to run. I'm just going to go ahead and take my life. This is, it's like, come on, man. This is like an earthquake. I, I think you could talk your way out of this one. But here the guy is showing the severity of, uh, of how seriously these guys took their job. I think about Jesus being in the tomb and how serious those prisoners took their job. Um, the, this is serious business. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he, he, and he called for lights and he rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down between Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is an excellent question. What must you do to be saved? Are you sure that you are right with God? Are you sure that if you die today that you are secure in him? There are so many people that are so confused about what does it mean to, to be saved? What does it mean to be spared from the wrath of God as we looked at last week? Listen to what Paul says. It's very simple. Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This, is, this isn't just simply believing that he existed. This is believing in his work. The gospel, as we went over last week, is that Jesus went to the cross according to the scriptures. He was crucified on the cross, and he was buried according to the scriptures. It says like three times, according to prophecy, he was put on the cross, nailed to the cross. He was killed. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. This was done for you. And in hearing the gospel, we're told in in Ephesians 1 13, that after you hear it, to activate it in your life is to believe, to say, yes, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me. And then at that moment, we're told that the the Holy Spirit seals you for the day of redemption. And he says, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord together with him and all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. So again, we see belief and baptism. So water baptism is a very important part of the Christian life. And so again, if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized post-belief, you're walking in disobedience to the Lord. That's as simple as we can play. That's as simple as I can make it. And so if you've given your life to Christ, you're to be baptized. This was a struggle for me. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was baptized as an infant, and then I became a Christian, and then I got far enough along in the Christian life that I thought to be baptized was something that, that was for beginners, and I was now more advanced. And so the Lord got a hold of me again and humbled me as he always does and brought me to the place where I was willing to submit my life to him and to be baptized. And this happened to me while on a marathon in Denver. I bumped into a guy who was a pastor named Buddy, who I'm still friends with him on Facebook. And I said, hey, I've been in disobedience. I need to get baptized. Will you baptize me after the marathon? And he did. And so it was a wonderful experience. Verse 34, and he brought them into the house and he set food before them and he rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household. Now, I want to be clear, this isn't one individual that believed and then it became effective for the whole household. The whole household heard the gospel. The whole household responded to the gospel individually and then the whole household individually became Christian. If you are raised in a Christian home, just you're not saved on your family's faith. 
It is your faith alone that determines whether or not you stand justified before God or if you stand condemned before God. It is not your family. It is not your pastor. It is not those that you hang out with. It is what did you do, you do with Jesus. Verse 35, when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported the words to Paul and the chief magistrate sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial. Men who are Romans. So you're saying we are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison now that they are sending us away and now they are sending us away secretly no indeed but let them come to themselves and bring themselves out the police men reported these words to the chief magistrates they were afraid when they heard that they were romans and they came and they appealed to them when they had brought them out they kept begging them to leave the city they went out of the prison and they entered the house of lydia they went out of the prison and they entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And so that's the story in Philippi. I do find it interesting in today's, in today's what we're going through this last five months, um, that Paul here, you know, the whole submitting to, to, the, to Caesar, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. And here we see Paul as a Roman citizen that he has certain rights. And so he... Uh, as a Christian, as he lives, leaves his life, he does it like in humility, but also at the same time, he's not afraid to draw on the rights and privileges that he has as a Roman citizen. And so over the last five months, I do think our politicians have handled things very incorrectly, and especially in California. The coronavirus is what it is. And and so the church has been sort of pushed, pushed in this position because as American citizens, there are certain rights that we have. Our, our constitution is pretty, pretty clear. The, the First Amendment is like really clear. Our founders believed in the First Amendment so strongly that they put in the Second Amendment not to protect ourselves from robbers, but to protect ourselves from the government. And so by, by encroaching on these areas... I think that what they've done is it's, it's really turned the conversation sort of like backwards where we as American citizens are saying, no, in our submission to the government, we have certain rights. And so do we respond one way or the other? Where if our, if our government was to come out and say, these are the things that we recommend to the church, we can't, we, you have certain privileges. And so th- these are the safety recommendations. We're not going to come after you. And then it would have really forced the conversation to be, how do we respond for the best safety? And I do think this week with John MacArthur's church, there was a, there was a big break that the, the attorney or the judge, the federal judge says no. I think it was a federal judge. Said that, um, that no, in the meantime, while, while we're waiting for the, the case, that, that John MacArthur's church can indeed meet inside as they always have, and sing and worship their Lord until it's settled. And so, I, I do think it's a big deal. Um, that th- for us, we're we're not like the plan isn't to come inside just because that happened. Because the conversation is like, well, it's been really kind of fun outside, and if, if that's safer, like I don't want there to be an outbreak at our church, and so like I, so we'll play, we'll play by the guidelines. Like, it's one thing to say, well, we have the freedom to meet inside. And we can do that. We have the rights afforded to us by our constitution. It's another thing to say, well, yeah, there's people that are concerned, so maybe 
uh, we have this beautiful weather, we have this beautiful property, it's for us to meet outside is a really, it's an easy thing to do. And so we'll continue to do that. I'll continue to make these, we'll continue to, to, to make the, the sermons available on, online. Like I feel like right now we have an online service and we have the in live, in-person service. And so that's, that's, a, that's a way tangent. And I'm like way, like we got we to gotta speed through. I'm at 32 minutes. You know, I keep the clock going. I got to think about the heat. But it's just interesting in this pattern. And so from here, chapter 17, he transitions. He goes to Thessalonica. And so now let's go back to Thessalonians. And now that we've gone through the story of, of Philippi, which we, we haven't done before, now we can come to chapter 2, verse 1. I want to read our two verses again. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Now we learn about sort of a, more of the picture. They go from modern-day Turkey. They get, over to, uh, they get over to Philippi. They land. They make the 10-mile transit up to Philippi. There they are met with, just a, a very brutal welcoming. Um, once that little slave girl is freed from her demons, they come after him. They beat him. They put him in prison. They, 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 they treat him very poorly. And then from there, he makes his way to Thessalonica, his visit to them, where then he spends three weeks within three, week, within three Saturdays. He again is beat up and chased out of town. So everywhere Paul is going, he's meeting affliction. Within that affliction in Thessalonica, there are those who'd come to Christ and they come to believe and then they face affliction. These people who were chasing down Paul, they didn't just stop there. They, they chased him all through Europe. And so it'd be very easy again for Paul to be discouraged. And he said, our coming to you wasn't in vain because there's fruit in their life. And God was working the whole first chapter, all of the things that he was grateful for that God was doing in their midst. Uh, faith, hope, and love, those three things that, that manifest themselves in their lives. Then we come to verse 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, and now you know that story, he then says, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Those three little words are all through the Bible, and they are so encouraging, but with God. The impossible is often made possible. In this case, there was frustration, there was discouragement. I'm sure there was fear. Nobody likes getting beat up. Like, as Paul, like, have you ever thought about, like, going from Philippi, that, that, that what happened there and then as they make their way into Thessalonica, like Paul was like quite literally beaten, bruised, bloodied, tore his clothes, scuffed up. Lydia might have bought him some new clothes, but the signs of the, like he wore his scars visibly. And he says, but with God, they might have been timid to go forward. They might have been timid to, to press on. And I tell you, the last five months has not been easy. There, 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 are, there are hard things going on. Looking at my pastor buddies that are, you know, contemplating like walking away from the ministry or those who have walked away. It's like, this is like really hard. But with God, we dare to tell you, I continue to make videos. I, I continue to feel called to the church in the midst of the adversity 
that God has called me here, and so I'm going to press on faithfully here at Grace Point Church, that we dared to tell you his gospel because people's souls are on the line. And momentary affliction is, is nothing com- in comparison to the, to the future glory that is in store. There are people in our state of California that are lost and they don't understand. The, their whole worldview, everything that they go about is from a, a, a view that there is no God, that this life is fleeting. And um, we see it manifested in ways like, abortion and just how law enforcement is treated and all of these things it's sin is rampant in our state and we don't need more laws what we need is people's hearts to be transformed and who is going to share the gospel if christians don't stay this is really convicting but with the help of Our God, we dare to tell his gospel. So our God, his gospel, the gospel is not ours, it is his. He is our God that has commanded us to share his gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that at believing in him, you would have everlasting life. Our most difficult times often produce times of immense growth with the Lord. Our most difficult times often come as we step out in obedience to God. By believing in Jesus, you will most likely face resistance from the world around you. Once you take the step of obedience into a baptism, often that's where per, like resistance will come in your life. And then as you walk obediently to the Lord, you're going to find resistance. And so as Paul looked back at the suffering they faced, he remembered how God's help and faithfulness uh, to him and these dear believers in Thessalonica, he remembered what God did. So in the midst of all of the affliction, he turned his eyes to Christ and he said, you know what, God is at work. In the midst of suffering, so much fruit came out of it. the, the church in Philippi ended up being this great partner to Paul uh, for the sake of, of the Gospels. Uh, when I think about Philippians, Thessalonians, uh, Ephesians, like if you think about these letters that we know as the prison epistles, they ended up being the letters that God used that are on par with the Psalms. And the Psalms also are, all of these are sort of born out of affliction. So, so these letters, the Philippians, Thessalonians, these are the letters that we go to as believers as we find ourselves facing affliction. Because in the midst of great affliction, born out of that, there's a perspective of, of sort of eternal thinking and keeping our eyes on Christ and in Him there's hope. There's no accident that in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of all the chaos, when I was doing the chaos, what I was doing, when we were going through all of the chaos, where I turned my eyes, it was to Philippians, and we went through Philippians. And so the last five months have been very difficult. The future is unknown. But as I look around and I see what God is doing in our midst, I'm so encouraged. Like, legitimately, I'm encouraged. 
That doesn't mean that there hasn't been discouragement or frustration. There's been very difficult things. But as I look up and I look around and I see what God is doing in all of your lives, it's a very encouraging thing. And so with that, let's pray. May you all have a great week. Again, please check in. Let me know how you're doing. Leave a comment. Text me. Send me an email. I hope you all are doing well. I love you all greatly. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us, you would guide us, you would help us to keep our eyes on you in the midst of these very uh, difficult times. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, have a great week, y'all.